This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game, and we are going to put you in a New York state of mind today. We got my man, Sean Fitzgerald from LAF Advisors and the Scratch Agency podcast, who he, that he does with Mr. Stephen Turnbull. And you guys just like came out of nowhere with that thing, man. It's like you, it's almost like you had a conference call one day and said, hey, let's start a podcast tomorrow. And you did. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, quick, just to touch on that story, because it's a good one. Stephen and I didn't know, didn't know each other. Uh, we got introduced to somebody through the insurance industry, and uh, we met at the Big Eye at the Big Eye event, the one that uh, I met you at, David. And Stephen and I connected, and we kind of just shared each other's story. And we were both like, "What the? Oh my god, what the hell just yeah. happened?" Like it was the exact same story. And we talked on the phone for a couple of days, and I was just like, "Man, we should." I mean, there's a lot of insurance podcasts and out now, but I was like there's not really one specifically geared towards building a scratch agency. I mean, there, there's some that are similar and close, but I just thought it was a good idea. And Steven and I have honestly, I don't even care if there was a hundred of them out that were the same. We've learned so much from doing uh, the podcast so far. Uh, it's helped me become a better communicator, which you and I have spoke about, David. And I think it's invaluable for for many other reasons. You know, you know what? It's funny, man, because I feel like when I go into sales calls, my entire career, I felt like I've asked really, really good questions most of the time and could yeah. keep dialogue going. But I I got to tell you, I mean, just the fact that we drop three episodes a week and record as much as we do, I've become a much better question asker in discovery during prospect meetings and everything else than I was two or three years ago. There's no doubt in my mind. So you're 100% right, man. And the other thing is, you know, you guys can come on and have you know, record for an hour and bring anybody you want on that's already got an established agency that's going to give you all kinds of advice and a roadmap on what worked for them. So you really have the ability to pick and choose what you want to use from a whole lot of other people that have already done it. Totally. We just uh, got off a call 25 minutes ago with Chris Langeal from Advisor oh. Evolved. And well, I don't know uh, if I'd listen to anything that guy said or not, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, he's uh, awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. Certainly, Chris Langell and 
advisor involved in local traffic marketing are all three very integral parts of Florida Risk Partners for sure, man. He does an awesome job at what he does. And I'm sure that your audience is going to get to learn a whole bunch from him. So before we get cranked up too much and start talking about the agency and some of the stuff you're doing, why don't you take just a couple of minutes to chat about what you're going to do or just sort of your background, your life story, your history, how you got to where you're at? Because I know you've had some military experience. You've been in family agency. Now you're in your own deal. And so I'm sure there's some uh, interesting meat there that we can chat about. Yeah, hundred percent. First off, thanks for having me on, David R. I appreciate it. Uh, you're you're you. welcome. You know, I'd have Kyle here too, but when we bring guys <laughs> like you in, we only got room for one other mic. You know, so I got gotcha. you. <laughs> we got when we bring in the big guns, he's gonna have to sit it out. And, and actually, we had Brad Bold on yesterday. We were talking to him, and I told him, I'm like, actually, Kyle's not on new business calls right now, and I would much rather him be there. That's where he should be, not playing around on a podcast. Smart. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So uh, anyways, my name is Sean Fitzgerald. I'm the owner of LAF Advisors, which is an independent PNC agency on Long Island in New York, like David said. So I think a good place to start would be probably back in 2008, right out of high school. Um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. I was completely lost, to be honest. But I was like, well, most of my friends are going to college, so I should probably go to college. My mom at the time didn't really teach me the importance of education or anything like that, but she was like, yeah, it's probably a good idea to go to college. So I went that route, did a community college. I got to be honest, nothing about it I liked. It was bored out of my mind. Then I met a buddy who was actually in the military, kind of told me about some of the benefits of it. And we talked about it for a little while. And I was like, man, I could... I think this would be a good route for me because it's a it's a good challenge. A, B, I'm going to meet a bunch of cool people. I might be able to travel out of it, and it'll be a really good stepping stone, you know. That and honestly, that's how I looked at it. I never really thought that the military was going to be my career long term, but I thought it'd be a great life experience. So, I joined the United States Air Force in 2009, I believe it was. I did that for six years as an aircraft electrician, and I was in the Air National Guard. So basically, what that means, you know, just to keep it simple, is you do your full training in the beginning, just like every other branch did roughly like, uh, you know, my boot camp, my training in Texas, some training in Mississippi. Then I came home and I was at the base on Long Island. So about 40 minutes from my house. And it's like one weekend a month with a couple of weeks a year in between. So I was able to have a full-time job in between. So I basically got introduced to somebody who married into the family. And it was the first guy I ever met that had any significant amount of money. And I remember I get to his house and he had two beautiful cars in the driveway, a house on the canal. He had a, a boat docked in the backyard, a nice swimming pool, a putting green in the yard. And I remember he had this car, and I'm not a big car guy, but I remember he had this car that I think it was the Mercedes CLS. I forgot what year it was, but it like almost looked like a Batmobile. <laughs> I just remember that catching my eye. And I literally remember within five minutes of meeting this guy, I was just like, what do you do for a living? And he tells me insurance and kind of tells me, but you don't need a college degree, right? He starts telling me some things about it. And 10 minutes later, I was like, are you hiring? And he's like, well, you know, you got to go get your license and do all these things. So I remember I went home, Googled how to get your you know, PNC insurance license, <laughs> went to class a couple times a week, got the license, called him back. And I said, hey, man, you still hiring by any chance? And uh, he said, yes. And it was a nationwide agency at the time. So I had to do like a little, you know, easy interview with nationwide. And then uh, I was a producer there for almost 10 years. And then uh, in 2020, about three weeks before the pandemic, I decided, hey, this is a great time to open up my own insurance agency in New York. And that's how I got here. There you go, man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it was the best move I ever made. You know, I tell 
I talked to Steven about this a few times. Like it was the toughest decision I ever had to make and the toughest conversation I ever had to have in order for it to happen. But because I had that tough conversation, like I feel like a lot of good came from that. You know what I mean? So. Well, I mean, the tough conversations don't stop when you start going out and calling on people. I mean, <laughs> you're going to have to have tough conversations totally. the rest of your life. So yep. you've been at it now for a couple of years. What's the story? Yeah. So, I mean, right now, as far as like what I'm going after and things like that, I'm about 60, 65 commercial and the rest personal. I am trying to be a little bit heavier on the commercial side. Right now, it's me, a virtual employee that I have and one producer. And man, we're just enjoying the ride, grinding every day. I'm sticking to my 10 cold calls a day that I tell everyone about. And that I've been having, you would think 10 is not a lot, but when you're calling on a very specific list, you start picking up some good traction. And as long as you stay consistent calling that list, things start to add up and a lot of things start coming down the pipeline. So I've just been enjoying the journey, man. I, you know, someone asked me the other day at lunch, they said, uh, you know, what's your, what's your end goal? Like, what's the dollar amount you want to have in your account? And I was like, ah, you know, I can't answer that because I know my, how my mind works. If I said, Hey, I want the end account to be 10 million. Right. I know if I get to 10 million, I'm going to be like, cool. How do I get to 25? And then I get to 25. Cool. How do I get to 75? You know, what I mean? I'm never satisfied in that sense, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but I think overall it's a good thing. And I'm just, I'm just enjoying the journey. Just had a newborn. It's almost one years old, uh, March 1st. And yeah, man, just enjoying life and enjoying growing the business. You know, I think the thing is when you get your call list dialed in and it's the right prospects that you actually yeah. can bring value to and want to talk to, totally. the, reason, the reason it becomes a little bit more difficult to get 10 conversations in in, is a, day, in a day is because you're actually having conversations. You're not just di- going through the motions of yeah. dialing numbers, having a quick, you know, let me try and get to the decision maker. Let me try and see if I can't book an appointment quick. You actually are investing in a niche market or a a segment of the insurance industry. you know, And that's one of the reasons why I tell everybody, you need to have ideal prospects defined and stay in your lane. You you may spend more time calling and calling less in that time, Mm -hmm. but I would also say your close rates will likely go up, you know, as a result, because by the time you get to the point where it's, it's ready to make that move, and and go for the business, you've already got a good relationship established with these people. And especially if you can show them, you know, a little bit, or at least enough about their industry that you're going to differentiate yourself from the other, other people they're talking to. There are a lot of people who think they're, you know, niche players, but they're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, uh, you know, this goes back to a conversation we had a while back with uh, killing in, within killing commercial and uh, I know the way kind of how you go after workers comp, David. And I was kind of like, wow, I really, I really like that approach. But in New York, as you know, it's a, it's a bit of a different animal. So I remember you told me about uh, insurance X states and some people having success with that in New York. And I mean, I don't have any, if they're not paying me to say any of this stuff, but insurance X states is, that's how I've been really been able to break down the list the way I want to contractors in this specific field, in these specific counties with this specific gross revenue that are renewing at this time. So when I'm calling on these people, I have the owner's name, I have the renewal date, I have the carrier that they're with. So right now, I mean, I, I honestly don't know how great it is or not, but I'm booking one appointment every 50 calls roughly. 
That's so. not terrible. I think that's yeah. probably honestly a realistic number, right? And, yeah. and the, the appointments you're booking, you're booking appointment appointments. Like you're actually sitting down meeting. You, I mean, how long are they? 30, 30 minutes to an hour? No, they're shorter. They probably should probably should have them longer there. I would say 20 minutes, maybe. Okay. So you're doing similar to what we're doing then. You're kind of doing that 15 to 20 minute yeah. meet and greet discovery call. Your appointments. Exactly. And that's find the thing, find man, out what like, the problems are. Yeah, you're not spending the time doing that when you're in the appointment setting mindset. You're just literally mm. going to set the next, set the next, exactly. set the next. So that's a great way to do it. It certainly worked for us. There's a lot of dialing involved. Yeah. But you got to stick with it. That's not the most it. fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got to stick with it. I mean, look, you can dial how many numbers in the same amount of time it's going to take you to drive to wherever you need to go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. That's why you got to kind of have that healthy mix of calls versus, you know, calls and marketing drops working in tandem. So that you're, you know, hitting, hitting each of those angles, but you know, with COVID everything changed, I think way more people are answering the phone. They're open to having at least a short conversation. I mean, our own appointment setting strategy is proving that Austin's knocking it out of the park. I mean, the dude started November 1st and by the second week of January, he already had over a hundred appointments booked for the agency. So, you know, if you ever I'm get too busy, it. feel free to send some of those to me. You know? Well, no, I'm at the <laughs> point right now, man, where I'm like, we need to get another one. Like, that's not enough. You know, you want to yeah. talk about 10 million, not enough. 25 million, not enough. I don't care if you book me 100 appointments. Why haven't you booked five? You know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, but I mean, exactly. in, in all seriousness, so much has changed, man, because I was Johnny Middle Market, heavy, heavy, heavy. And I still am. Like, my book is still very, very heavy in the middle market. But yeah. COVID has taught me that there's that little section that's like not really small business, but it's not quite like the juicy middle market stuff. Yeah. In Florida, we're looking at like 50 to 100,000 in premium, not the 100,000 plus, right? And so, yeah. you know, that is bread and butter all day long. And you know, they're totally responsive, responsive, responsive to digital advertising. They're responsive to content marketing. They're responsive to the appointment setter. And mm -hmm. so- we can use all of those mechanisms instead of going out and knocking on doors. And, you know, we're at a point right now where I'm like, I brought two more producers on that are in the process of getting licensed, but we can't keep up with our inbound, man. I mean, you want to talk about Langel being a vital part of our agency. That's the truth because he's the one who's handling all of our digital advertising through local traffic marketing. And, I understand how that process works. So when he calls me and says, Hey, I think we can do this. How much, you know, can I get budget? How much do you need? I'm not going to be the guy who argues with him. I'm either going to do it or I'm not. If I can't give him the budget, he tells me he needs and commit to it for a few months to make sure it's going to work. Then I'm not going to start the process. I think that's where a lot of people screw up is they think, well, no, I don't want to give you 3000. Let me just give you a thousand a month and see what happens. Well, that's not what the professional told you that you needed, man. He said he needed 3000 to get you results because that's what he, that's what yeah. his experience tells him. And that, that always cracks me up, up, up about our industry because we're the first people to go running and bitching about the fact that we make coverage recommendations to people. And then they say, nah, let me just cut this, cut this and cut this because I want to save money. And then the claim happens. And guess what's not covered? All the crap that they cut out and they didn't take the professional advice. So if that stuff pisses you off, people quit arguing with your vendors who are experts at what they do. And they're giving you offers uh, opportunity to make your business better. But you know, we're at a point right now where like I've got, I'm, I, I talked to another producer that wants to relocate to Florida. He's already in the insurance industry, but 
I could tell from talking to him doesn't have bad habits. I typically mm-hmm. wouldn't talk to somebody who's already in insurance, but I think that um, I may have found the rescue animal I was looking for who needs somebody to love him and nurture him a little bit and give him some flexibility. But yeah, I've got another person right behind him. And I mean, I'm thinking that there's an outside shot. FRP is going to have 10 producers by the end of the year. And that's, that's a scary place for a lot of people to to be, you know? Well, listen, having too many leads is a good problem to have. Yeah. Well, and the other part of it is, you know, I think we talked about this when we had our, our normal call on Wednesday, but my goal by the end of this year is really simple. I want to take anything I can that is non-revenue bearing, non-client facing, and I'm going to also outsource every ounce of that to my virtual professionals at Savitel. You know, mm. the pe- I've got I've got a, a few working with me already. Every single one of them has been exemplary in terms of of their work product, their dedication, loyalty, all of that. I mean, I can't say enough good things about them, but that's where we're headed. So. The cool part about that is if the leads keep coming in and I keep hiring producers, I've got a never-ending supply because we engaged with Peggy Corbett from Agency Transform, who is a Hawksoft consultant, and she's going to come in and she is setting up all of the Hawksoft the way that it should be set up, right? So we talk about HubSpot on the podcast all the time. I'm not the best guy to talk about Hawksoft because I honestly haven't really put any effort towards the AMS because everything we're doing is in HubSpot. But at the end of yeah. the day, we still have to have the data in the AMS the right way and, and and all of that stuff. So I never took the time to learn it, never took the time to optimize it or learn how to optimize it. So I figure at this point in my life, way cheaper to hire a professional, regardless of how much that professional costs in this lady is 100% the best in the business. Thank you to Chris Paradiso for sending me her way. Very much appreciated. But in addition to getting it all set up with the hotkeys and the menus the right way and all the reporting templates, they train your VAs. So That's nice. now I can just, I can pay them, you know, retainer or whatever I have to do. And every time I'm bringing new VAs into the mix, I'll just have them run through that same training. The other thing I did was I identified that one of the two young ladies that I brought on February 1st has the ability to be a leader and be be the, the one who runs that department, right? So my thing is, I don't want to have to be dealing with 10 different people in Pakistan. I want to deal with one person who can deal with the other nine. And so I'm grooming her right now to pretty much take, take over and she'll run that service team inside of Savitel over there. So now, you know, we just, it, it's real simple, man. You plug the producers in. Oh, we got more revenue, need more help. Okay, well, we'll come over here. We'll pay for more help. Now we got all of that caught up. We got some extra money. We'll put it into marketing. Oh, no, more leads. Now we got to get more producers. I mean, it's just a never ending cycle. But I'm going to do something different in the agency. And, um, it, you know, I, I think it's going to work out pretty well. But what I, what I really want to do is I want each of my producers to be responsible for like one vertical, right? And there can be a couple things inside of it. But for example, you know, transportation, we could do trucking, Amazon last mile delivery, gravel, gravel and sand hauling, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I want to have a transportation vertical. I want to hire a producer that will become an expert in transportation, get their designation and be able to run that thing like it's their own business unit. I want them to have PL responsibility for that business segment. I want them to go out and recruit other producers to grow the transportation vertical. If they need service or resources, 
I want them to be able to come to me and say, this is what I need and us have a business conversation so that they can get what they need. I want to be able to take that producer and pay them an override in addition to what they're producing for managing that process. But ultimately, I want to replicate that across like probably 10 or 12 different things that every single agency should have, in my opinion, you know, whether it be, you know, construction, transportation, hospitality, you know, I mean, broad stroke stuff. Yeah. I want to build all of those verticals out and then see what happens, man. Because I think that if if we do it that way and you give somebody the ability to where here's what I here's what I know. Producers love money, right? We like to go out, we like to produce, we like the hunt, we like the kill, but we like the paycheck. They also want to be recognized for that and they want to have some flexibility and they want to have a say in what goes on, at least the ones that are more entrepreneurial do. And so mm. I think a lot of agencies squash that. I know I spent eight years in living hell on earth because I was never allowed to offer my opinion or implement anything. So at the end of the day, you know, I think that it helps with retaining your production too, because if they get the urge to go out or the itch rather to go out and start their own agency, What's the point? You've already got a good gig here. You're getting commission. You're getting override. We're going to give you a path to equity in the agency so that you're actually a partner and and you will, in effect, own a piece of this. Like, yep. What's the point of taking the risk to go start your own agency at that point? Because they're all going to be making good money. They're all going to have a great value proposition, all the tech tools they need. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to give them the latitude that, to fulfill that entrepreneurial itch that they have. And I think that's what keeps them here, right? Because if you don't feed that, they're always they're always going to have the wandering eye, always. That I was, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. I was literally just going to say that. I feel like the producers that I know or that I've seen are they all have that like entrepreneurial bug. So if you can give them a path to partnership, I think that's really smart. But you touched you touched on a lot there. There's two things I wanted to one thing I wanted to actually challenge you on, and the other thing uh, I just wanted to Come touch on, on real challenge quick. Me. Let's Bring do it. it. Let's do it. <laughs> so the twenty five, uh, the fifty to one hundred thousand premium sweet spot. I couldn't agree with you more. Mine's actually like 25 to 100. Like I love that realm. But which that is, is the probably same. conversion the factor between Florida totally. and New York, right? Yeah, totally. And uh, I, I'm curious if you find the same thing, even the the 70, you know, we get towards like the $75,000 accounts. When I offer them simple things like mineral, certificial, you know, just self-service portal for COIs, seem, none of them have ever heard of it before, which just right. blows my mind because they're profitable accounts. They they need the handholding and the help. And I find those two things alone, the self-service portal, uh, I, you know, I throw in like a renewal strategy as well, like follow up a few months before, do quarterly reviews for the ones that need the exposure review and whatnot. But like this, I find that it's like the simplest things that they need help with, you know? Yeah, and I'm and curious if you run into the same thing. Like, no, I do. It's not I always do. that complicated, you know? <laughs> no, it, it's actually honestly pretty easy for the most yeah. part, especially. And, and so for me, I think one of the advantages that I have, especially when I'm calling on something in that range, because I've had quite a few meetings and I'll have quite a few more with my with having two new producers start. My yeah. ride-alongs are going to increase dramatically. But when you get into that range, I feel like I bring more value to those people because I have clients who have been there or even mm. not that far along Makes sense. and are now like 20, 25, 30 million a year in revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that I just can can say, hey, I can take care of what you need today. And these are the things that you're probably considering, but I can say, 
you know, I'm sure you're familiar with ABC plumbing or whatever. I actually have represented them since they were one truck in the garage of the owner's home. And you will get the benefit of the fact that I've seen how they've grown. I've seen mistakes that were made. I've seen, you know, things they did well. I pay attention to that stuff, but I also know the things you're going to need to have in place as you continue to scale. And I can, when I make recommendations to you, I may come to you and tell you something that you don't like, because it's going to cost you a thousand dollars more this year, but I'm saving you tens of thousands of dollars down the road. So you have to have that conversation because I think, you know, again, all of us are created equal in the eyes of the prospect. We, it's up to us to differentiate ourselves. And so I think that a lot of people at at this point too, I got enough gray hair. I got the Polly Walnuts white walls going on (laughs) on the sides, but enough people are, are listening to that message and letting us educate them that, you know, that's been a, a really good way for me to get the the smaller companies, you know, in that range to to pay attention. That's good. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's great. I mean, unfortunately, I can't have too many of those conversations yet because uh, you know, I've only been open for a couple of years, but I'll get there. Yeah, and that's a great uh point. But the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, so you were talking about building out niches for each producer. Yep. Um, and it's not really challenging you. I'm just curious your your thought process on it. So being a prior nationwide guy. I saw a lot of knee-jerk reactions from carriers. Hey, you know, we're going to write a ton of contractors, go after contractors, and we write a ton of contractors. Oh, sorry, we're not renewing the whole book. Uh, you know, go yeah. after habitational. Oh, sorry, we're not renewing the whole book. And I've seen it with a few carriers. So I'm just curious, are you, for, for those specific producers, are you telling them, hey, it's a good idea to build the niche, you, but you should still do some other things as well. I'm, I'm assuming well, that's the case, right? So when I when I say niche, I want it. It's the same thing I talk about in in um, killing commercial, right? It's yeah. ideal prospects, and I want you to operate in three to five of those, but I want them to be inside of a broader vertical. So inside transportation, you could have livery, you could have trucking, you could have gotcha. sanded gravel hauling, you could have all of this stuff. But to your point, you know. I've seen it where a carrier or maybe two carriers will get off of a class of business and pull out, but I've never seen it where every carrier gets off that class of business with with some, a few exceptions. Right. But again, you know, we can't get every market that we need unless we prove that we are actually writing business and we're specializing in certain things. And, you know, even with transportation being the example, the Holy grail for a trucking agency is to get a great West appointment. Everybody knows that, right? I don't even write that much trucking at all personally, but I know that great West is the best appointment to have for somebody who writes trucking. So if I can get a producer in here to not only just go in and, and, do the work on the prospecting and writing the business, but do the due diligence on what markets do we need? What's the correct mix? What, a, you know, can you go help me get appointed with these carriers mm. and, and, and identifying those things? You know, that's part of it. If we went in and all we had was two or three markets and the markets tightened up, we'd be toast. So yeah. it is, it's about expanding the market offering of the agency in terms of the carriers we work with. In addition to that, plus all the value adds, right? I mean, I can I can go into any work comp account that's got problems and fix it for the most part because I'm set up to do that. But, yeah. you know, I'm also actually set up to do a lot of other stuff. Like I could go in and do the DOT compliance for a trucking company. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to use Yellowbird to do it, right? I can go in and have them and, you know, pay them to go do what, what I can't do internally. 
and it's going to win accounts for me. So that's that's really what, what the thought process is. I need the people who live in that space every day. Right now, we say we do, but we still have a lot of very broad carriers, and we haven't really niched down into the ones that are specialists in some of this stuff, with the exception of like cyber and some professional liability. You know, I do feel like we've got that handled, but you know, that's a really valid point. And it is, I mean, I had that exact conversation with a young man that I was interviewing earlier today to come in and be part of transportation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, and, and that's, again, having that conversation, one of his frustrations of leaving where he is, is he couldn't get them to support him. He couldn't get them to go talk to other markets. He couldn't get them to, you know, put like a mineral or a KPA or something like that in at the point of sale. And so as a result, what's going to happen? He's going to end up leaving. Yeah. That's all right. I'll, I'll give him the big bear hug. It's fine. He can come home. We'll we'll take care of him here. Let him have some freedom to do what he wants and build the business the way he thinks it needs to be built. They're not going to have free reign, man. I mean, I'm still there. I still have to be the final person to sign off on it. But I think Kyle, if he was on today, he would be the first person to tell anybody I'm the furthest thing in the world from a micromanager. Like I'm just, I want you to handle your business, do it well, and I'll pay you handsomely to do it. That's all I really care about. I don't need to be involved in every single decision. I want to empower people across the entire agency so that we can look like we're a generalist agency that's loaded with experts in each one of those things that makes us generalist. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Otherwise, yeah. what you have is you have an agency who ha- where everybody does everything, right? So the agency is a generalist, but nobody's really great at any one thing because they're busy trying to write everything. I agree with you. And that's why I think I think having the niche in the long run is the better option. You know? Well, the other thing it does too, man, is it, it helps solidify the teamwork and the culture because one of the biggest issues you have, and I mean, I know there's no... No, you know, cheap agents who listen to this podcast by any stretch, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's ever fought over commission splits or anything with other producers in their office, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. in reality, it it forces people, right? So if you have a person who's an expert in auto shops over here, and this guy over here, his vertical is landscaping. Well, he he ends up getting the referral because one of his landscapers had some work done on the truck, found out the guy was having problems, said, hey, I'll have you talk to my guy, and he refers him to you. Well, guess what? You need to refer that over to the guy that's the specialist in auto body or in auto shops, right? And just like if he were to get a landscaper, he should be referring that business to you. Let everybody stay in their lane. And the agency principles need to be the sort of like the air traffic controllers and making sure that's what actually happens. But nobody ends up missing out on business that way. No, and some and of the I nastiest think- fights I've ever seen are grown men and women fighting over commissions on accounts that were referred. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things too, I was just talking with Dougie Benz about this the other day. I think as producers, and I'm guilty of this in the past, like we wait, we waste so much time trying to quote or write other accounts that are in our specialty. Yeah. You know, and that ties into the niche thing. Like, you know, I had a guy, I had somebody in my BNI group today. They're like, Hey, Sean, I just referred you somebody that had two DUIs and four. I'm like, really? Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, <for> that. Thanks. <laughs> I'm not answering that call. Well, I mean, and that's, that's the problem too. I mean, that's part of why we're struggling. I don't want to say we're struggling, but we kind of yeah. are just to keep up with the inbound stuff. Totally, and yeah. it's because we just get all kinds, you can't control what it is coming in. Right. And to yeah. your point, if anybody should know what it is that you write and what to give you, it should be somebody in BNI for as rigid yeah. as what they are. I know. I know. Or you doing your elevator pitch and everything else. Yeah. But 
I think that's one of the things that a lot of agents struggle with. And I hear about it from, from quite a few. In fact, Christian Delosier even brought this up in Key West last year. Mm. What do you say to a, somebody who refers you business when it's not the business that you want to write? You don't want to damage your relationship with them. And I, you know, the, the answer is we need to do a better job of training our clients what it is that we want them to refer. Yeah. If we're not going to put the work in to say, hey, you know, I would really appreciate it if you know anybody else. And this is kind of what I'm looking for. I'm really not able to handle much outside of this because mm-hmm. we're not I'm not set up for it. But if you see anybody in this box, you may not get a bunch of referrals from them. You're probably going to get less. But the referrals you're going to get are the right ones. Yeah, better quality. You're going to get better quality referrals. And I mean, I forgot where I was going to go with this. But yeah, you got to know what you're going to target. Don't waste your time writing things. And oh, that's where I was going to go. So if you, as a scratch agent, it's a lot harder to say no to those things because let's be honest, uh, you know, the my, hardest I, thing to do. Yeah, my my producer's going through it now. You know, there's things where he's brought up to me, and I'm like, we really shouldn't go after that. Here's why, and it's I feel terrible telling him that because I remember how it is to be in that position. You're trying to grow a book, you're trying to get some revenue on the books, but you know, instead of wasting five hours trying to figure out what markets to go to, oh, we don't have that market, we have to go here, we have to have a conversation with the underwriter because we don't know what we're doing. You could have made. 200 cold calls in that time, you know, which could have opened up the door to a more niche specific account that you're trying to go after. So I'll tell you, man, for as many people as I interact with, you know, through killing commercial and coaching, that's probably the most frustrating thing for me is when somebody Mm -hmm. asks me about an account, my advice is honestly, you need to walk away and here are the reasons why you need to walk away. And then they don't listen to me and Mm -hmm. they waste weeks on trying to force something that's never going to happen. It was obvious. It wasn't going to happen. We explained why it was obvious. It wasn't going to happen. They still just didn't listen. And, And it is, it's a huge waste of time. But that staying in your lane and only writing the things that you you really want to write that are in that in that niche or vertical or whatever we want to call it, you know, that's the hardest advice to take from somebody who, like you said, is a scratch agency or an unvalidated producer. But it's the easiest advice to give when you're on the other side. And mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, I say that same thing. You're not going to want to hear this. You're probably not going to want to do it. Yeah. But this is the one piece of advice that I wish people would have beat into my head when I was a younger producer, because I would have been so much further off, you know, down the road. And I even yeah. mentioned it. We had an onboarding call with Jay and Vonda Copeland's agency out in Kansas this morning. And I, I told them, I said, you know, at the end of the day, you guys have to figure out what you're going to go after and be specialists in these things. And you're going to ultimately make way more money as a result, because you're only going after the good business that you know, your carriers will write, that you have the value proposition around. And it's going to suck for the first little bit because you feel like you're stuck, right? You're not writing as much or you're not getting as many submissions in or whatever else I said. But the problem is, too many times we confuse activity with productivity. They're two completely different things. So true. Just because you're going through and putting 10 submissions in, if they're all garbage or they're all going to be price-based sales and you're hoping that you get the best quote, again, to your point, if you, instead of wasting all that time there, go invest in in the garden you've already planted, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, and it's truth, truth, truthfully, it's rarely small business where this happens. It's always that one monster, right? In my world, the people who reach out to me, it's like, oh, I've got the ability to go after this account. It's like 5 million in premium and they've got 750 trucks. And I really 
thank you for thinking that I am capable of helping you structure that the right way myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, and I probably could, but at the end of the day, it's like, what are you doing, dude? Like you've not written anything more than a $5,000 master pack with travelers. And you're going, why did you even call on these people? Yeah. I feel like sometimes as agents, we make things, and I get this from Billy, like we make things so confusing and it's really so simple. And funny thing is you posted about this the other day. And literally the day prior, I went out to dinner with my uh, producer and I told, literally told him the exact same thing. It was, you know, to be successful in this industry, you don't need to do anything crazy outside the box, return phone calls, do what you say you're going to do. If you don't know the answer, tell them, oh crap, you know, I don't know the answer to that. That's a great question, but I'll find it and I'll get back to you right away. And I feel like I don't, I'm not doing anything super outside the box with my agency. I'm sticking to those principles. Don't have um, to. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have a couple of value adds on the commercial side and you know we're profitable and we're growing. So yeah, you know, it, it's usually about 45 to 60 days when a new producer from an agency comes into killing commercial. And we you and I never have tangled, but I, I tangle with some of them. Yeah. You know, because they want to argue. And I remind them that there's a reason why their agency principal, you know, wanted this. And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, you know, I explain to them the value of compound interest so that they understand how that works and they want to make as much money as they can now so that they have the use of that compound interest moving forward. We can do it their way, you know. If if that's how you want to do it, just do it your way. And I'll let your agency principal know that you don't want to be part of this process anymore because you're not coachable and you don't want to be held accountable to anything. So go ahead and see how that works out for you. But it only takes one good account getting written in any one of these agencies by somebody who actually has put in the work, put in the reps, had the one-on-one time, had the, you know, been on the, on the calls and, and heard a trick here or there somewhere. It only takes one and then everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid at that point because it's the, always the one person is the guy or the lady that you know never would have written that before, but they've decided on a Hail Mary, hey, I'm going to go try this trick I heard on our call the other day and they do and it works and th- then I get the email. Hey, man, I can't believe this worked. Like I get one of those almost every day and that's yeah. the cool part for me is being able to see all that stuff. I mean, I'm past yeah. the point in my life where... I'm not saying I don't like to produce because I don't know that I'll ever not like to produce. I, I love it, but it's, you know, I get way more joy and fulfillment out of watching other people that I know wouldn't have done this if I wouldn't have been involved with them. You know, they trust me. They, they let me give them my advice. They take that advice, they implement it and it actually works out for them. That's the best validation I could ever get. There's no amount of money that's going to replace that. Yeah. And that was a question I was, uh, two things I was going to ask you, but the first thing is you have killing commercial, right? You work with a lot of producers and you have a lot of connections within the insurance space. What do you think separates those killers, the top 1% of producers to the rest of them? They embrace the mundane. They understand the grind. They know what it takes. They they're going to always get their marketing drops done. They're always going to get their calls done. They're always going to be at the trade association meeting that they're a member of. They're going to, you know, I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, the absolute best producers are, I mean, number one, they, they invest in themselves too, right? They take sales training. They take product and, and technical knowledge training seriously. They don't whip pencil whip their continuing ed. They actually sit through the CIC modules and listen to them and learn from them. 
and then they're present. They're always there. And yeah. I think that's honestly the biggest thing, man. I mean, I, I tell my producers when they start, if you call on somebody three months in a row, you have already seen them more than they have seen their incumbent since renewal. Three months in a row. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yep. That's it. And in fact, it's crazy because I remember when I used to do cold calls on people, the gatekeeper would eventually start thinking I was the agent. Oh, the insurance guy's here. You know, yep. Yep. I'm not your insurance guy yet, you know, but <laughs> that's yeah. the way it works. And I mean, again, it's just there's no rocket science in that. It's not hitting the damn snooze button when your alarm goes off in the morning, right? right. It's not it's not quitting the last set that you're working in the at the gym. It's it's making sure every rep you do is perfect and that you're willing to sign off on that one. You know, it's it's driving the 30 minutes that you really don't want to have to drive in traffic instead of rescheduling an appointment, you know, that day. Mm-hmm. And it's also understanding that it is one of the most ridiculously arrogant things in the world for you to do to pre-qualify anybody without giving them the benefit of a first meeting or a conversation. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned. I learned it way back in, in way back when, when I was selling satellite dishes door to door in West Virginia. But, you know, back then, 65% of the state didn't have any kind of cable. So all I had to do is get their financing approved. And I had the dish sold, man. I like, I had that whole thing lock, stock, and barrel, but I'll never forget. I went into a a trailer one time, and this place was decrepit, man. You would you would probably not want to walk into it because I didn't, you know, and just dishes piled up everywhere. I mean, whatever. But look, man's got to eat. I would, you know, if you don't want to do your dishes, that's your problem. I'm still gonna sell you a satellite dish. Probably gonna make your dish pile get bigger because you're watching porn on TV now. So, (laughs) anyhow, we. So I go in and I'm talking to this guy. And I said, look, I said, you know, I'm, I don't know that I can get you approved for financing, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do my best. And he said, who said anything about financing? And he goes in and goes in the drawer under his waterbed and pulls out a shoebox that probably had $35,000 in it. I have no idea how much money it was, but he said, I'm going to pay cash. And he said, and I'm going to forget the fact that you didn't think I could get approved. I'm like, well, no, that's not what I meant. It just came out the wrong way. I'm like backpedaling at this point, but yeah. I learned that early in my sales career. You don't pre-qualify anybody. You ask the questions and you let them disqualify themselves. Don't go in with the bias. So if you fast forward, go fast forward. Shoot, man, it's probably been 30 years now. because Well, not quite 30, but 25, 26 years at a bare minimum. I was getting ready to go over to an appointment that was set. It was actually a referral from my buddy that I have the benefits JV with. And it was a 10 employee company. It was a construction company. It was in Tarpon Springs. It's an hour and a half drive from where I live. Traffic was terrible. It was at three 30 in the afternoon. And I'm looking for every reason in the world not to go to this appointment. And I mean, people, this is not like it was 20 years ago. I'm talking about like four or five years ago. And at a time when I was still trying to get Florida risk off the ground. So I certainly didn't need to be thinking this way. And so I finally said, you know what? Told myself when from the dude with the money, money, uh, shoebox full of money, I would never pre-qualify anybody again. This thing could turn out to be an absolute dog. I'm going anyhow because I owe it to my referral partner. I owe it to the person who blocked the time. And I owe it to myself because you don't ever know what it's going to turn out turn into. So exactly. I go in. This company has DOT contracts to paint bridges. Like 
it was it was a half a million or more just in the work comp premium on the account because the code with the USL and H is so high. And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, I almost didn't come to this. So if there's one thing anybody listening to this podcast gets out of the whole thing, don't pre-qualify people with your own bias. Don't do that. Go give everybody the benefit of the doubt. The same thing holds true with first meetings. And, you know, you'll see this in IAOA all the time. And I see it in other forums. But somebody will say, well, I called. Number one, I don't even know why people post stuff like this, because it's really kind of a stupid post to begin with. But <laughs> they basically go in and say something like, well, I called this guy and he told me he'd send me the lost runs. And he said he's already got four other agents working on it. And I'm just not going to waste my time on it, whatever else. I'm going to take the meeting. I, I mean, there's a lot of people that are going to argue with me about that, but guess what? Do you, that's your point of view. You're not going to change mine. I'm going to take the meeting. And the reason why is because it tells me nobody's ever educated that guy on doing broker selection. Nobody's ever explained to him the benefits of just picking one agent and riding with that agent. Let them do their job to the best of their ability. Let them control the marketplace. Let them negotiate with the underwriters. Instead, what do we do? We go around 60, 30, 90 days before renewal, whenever it is, ask for deck pages and loss runs, and we're going to go try and get you a real good insurance quote is what I call it, right? Yeah. Nobody wants that crap. They want to... It just yeah. it drives me absolutely nuts. So that would be the other thing is it's it, always take the first meeting. Always, no matter how bad you think it's going to be, I, go to the first meeting. And if you need to cut it short, leave after five minutes. Excuse yourself. I've done that. I've done that and actually gotten business from that because I'm so set in what we're going to do. And you're either going to fit or you're not. But I can't adjust my value proposition. I can't weaken what we deliver because I let down every other account that our agency represents or that's in my personal book of business when I compromise because somebody wants us to change. It's okay, man. It's why it's a free market economy. If I'm yep. not your guy, go find the person who is. Man, I have a, such a similar story to that. I had an account in uh, Brooklyn and it, you know, trying to find, for those of you that uh, live in the city or near the city, I had to drive into Brooklyn trying to find parking. You drive yourself crazy. You wind up just paying money to go in a parking garage so you don't have to walk 30 minutes. <laughs> so, Well, I'm going to tell you what, man. The Uber game is brutal in New York, man. I thought Tampa was bad. And then I went up and I can tell you when we, bike. <laughs> dude, when, we were, when we were there back in the early December, we stayed right there at, at um, Central Park. Mm -hmm. And Doug and, and Doug was hell bent that I needed to go have pastrami at Cat's Deli. Like he hammered yeah. me, hammered me, hammered me. Dude, my Uber there was $92. My Uber back was over a hundred bucks. That I mean, now I'm not gonna lie. Probably still pretty dang good, man. <laughs> and what it did was it, it it just made me want to come home and make my own and cure my own pastrami, which I've done now. So now I don't have to go back to cats. I can make it at my house anytime I want it. It's probably not go. as good as theirs, but you know, it's nah. close enough. Yeah. So uh yeah, so I, I had an appointment in Brooklyn. It was and it was like you say, this was a smaller account. I think they had like one tow truck, it was auto repair. And I was just man, I was stressing about going to this thing. I knew it was gonna take a few hours of my day, but I went. And I didn't wind up writing the account, but I just had good conversation with the owner. And I told him, man, what you have now is really good. Just stay where you are since you have a good relationship with your broker. But I'd maybe switch these one or two things. And I left it at that. A couple of days later, that guy winded up referring me to another account, which is the largest account I have and I still have. 
and it came from an account that I didn't want to go to and I didn't even write. And I was like, man, that's a, it's a good lesson right there. You know? Yeah. You, you never know, man. You never know. And I mean, the other yeah. thing is you see all the memes out there about, I was raised to treat the janitor with the same respect as the CEO mm-hmm. or whatever else, but it's kind of corny and cliche at this point. I've seen that so many times, but it's the truth. Like we just need to go and treat people with respect. You know, they took time out of their day. Give them, give them a fair shake. Let them tell you their story, ask them questions Mm -hmm. and don't judge them when they answer you. Ultimately we have the decision as to whether or not we want to move forward with somebody. And I think too many times, again, for all the reasons we've mentioned, we're just assuming we're moving Mm -hmm. forward, you know, Oh, we got to the next stage, you know, it, if somebody seems like they're going to be a pain in the butt to get information from, then just don't do business with them. That's one of the reasons. I mean, Josh Gurley talks about it all the time. He has four questions. I have three. My three are pretty similar to his four. I honestly don't even remember what his fourth one is. But every single time, number one, are you able to give me the information I need when I need it? Because I'm under a time constraint. If I ask for loss runs and it takes you three weeks to get them for me, I can't promise you I'm going to get you the best result because I may have missed an opportunity. I need access to your people. If I need to do interviews or just sit down and observe like the safety committee or onboarding or whatever else, I need to know that you can give me that access. I'm not going to spring any surprises on you. I'll give you plenty of notice, but can you commit to that? And then the third one is I always know the name of the agent. Always. If I can't, if I don't know the name, I try my best then you can't be as specific, but I always want to let them know that I'm going to ask them to fire John and hire me or who, whatever the person's name is. I said, and the third thing is I want to let you know, you've given me this information. You've told me I can have access to your employees. I'm going to come back to you the next time we meet and I'm going to present my work product, whether that's an experience mod analysis, a cyber vulnerability assessment, whatever I tell them, exactly what they're going to expect in the next meeting. I'm going to come in and I'm going to share this information with you. And I'm going to do my best to give you a compelling business case as to why you should fire John and hire me. And at the end of the meeting, I'm going to ask you to do that. Do you have the ability to fire John and hire me? Yep. And if and the answer is if the answer is no, it's over. Like it's, what, it's I, what I like about that question too, is kind of what you and I talked about the other day that also lets you know if they have another if this, if they're not the sole decision maker and then they, so uh, they might I say oh forgot. yeah I completely forgot that was us. I was just getting yeah. ready to say, I was talking to a producer <laughs> in Killing Commercial the other day yeah. who just had this same thing happen because they didn't ask that specific question. And I mean, to me, it always is better if you use the person's name, especially if you're on Zoom or sitting across the table from them, because you're going to see them flinch. If, they, if they're not comfortable with it, you're going to mm-hmm. know they're not comfortable with it. And so- you know, I think those are those are probably some good nuggets that I could give people that are newer in the production game as far as things they should do. Um, yep. Yeah, I think that's good. You know, yeah. know, what would you tell them, man? I mean, you you're you're not a spring chicken anymore in the industry. You've been out knocking it around for a little while. I mean, yeah. What, what would I mean, be your best of, piece of advice for a new producer? My best piece of advice is to just honestly those four points we talked about before about, and I would add go in with the mindset that you're going to do the right thing. And I think everything else is going to fall into place. If you tell them, Hey, I'm going to call you back the end of the day today with that proposal or to to answer the question, call them back at that time. Don't call them back the next morning. Don't 
do something else that you didn't say you're going to do because that's just going to set and people already have a bad taste in their mouth about the insurance space and agents. So do what you say you're going to do. It's not that complicated. That's all I got. Grind, yep. work hard. The first couple of years, if you're a producer, it's going to be tough, but you'll get through it. Think of the big picture. Well, it's like, it's no different than anything else, man. You got to slow down yeah. to speed up. You have to build your foundation, right? And it's not one of those things. I It's, listen, producers and agency principals for that matter, because you're the, you're guilty of forcing them out of this, but it's okay to take time to plan. It's okay to to put together, take time to put together your business plan and think through who your ideal prospect is going to be. And then ultimately put your leads lists together, build out your pipeline yeah. and do your research. The things we talk about in Killing Commercial in the very basic portion of what we do, it's okay to do that. You're going to be much better off if you do that, you know, have the foundation right the rest of the house is going to be yeah. just fine but if you just go out the first you know and a lot of people say i got a i got a book of business handed to me when i first got in the insurance industry yeah it was the phone book <laughs> well no i mean that that's great i'm glad that's the way that you guys used to do it in the old days but if we're still just getting handing our producers phone books and telling them to dial people <laughs> what yeah <laughs> like, yeah and huh? And David, before I forget, I think one one good thing to tell a newer agent is to be a good to be a good listener. Uh, I know it's very important to ask the right questions and you know to find out what their problems are. It's super important. But if you can get a business owner or someone really talking about their business and you listen to what they have to say, I mean, I feel like that builds such rapport. One of my favorite questions to ask, and it's not a complicated or super in-depth one uh, when I go on a new business appointment, is just, hey, I, I did some research on your business. I looked you up online. I kind of have a general idea of what you do. But can you, in your own words, tell me a little bit how you got into the business and, and what you guys do exactly? Right. And sometimes, and, you know, and you by get, the way, it, also sounds like the opening question in a podcast, right? So I exactly, mean, there goes exactly, the parallels exactly. right there. And and sometimes, you know, if you're speaking to a contractor, they might say, oh, I, just residential interior wiring. I don't do anything else. Um, and then you have to really pry. But most people, they're going to go on a 10 minute straight, how they got into the industry, what they do, who they sell to, where they get the product from. And, you know, just ask the question, shut up and listen. That's that's my advice. Well, and last thing I'm going to say, and then we'll wrap up because we're coming up on an hour, but I actually put a tweet out two weeks ago that said the majority of the issues salespeople have have to do with communication. Mm -hmm. We listen with an intent to respond rather than an intent to understand. You know, so many times we're just hanging, waiting, waiting, waiting for that person to say something so we can go right back at them instead of just sitting there and listening to what they have to say and yeah. trying to understand their point of view is to where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. You're going to be so much better off, man. I couldn't agree more. David, do I have one? Do I have a yeah, quick minute ahead. to ask you one last question? Yeah, absolutely. This, this is one I, I want I love to ask you because I think you are, you know, just from the coaching stuff that you and I go through, you are a middle market, just commercial lines killer. So I'm just curious in, in your brain and how, and how that's going, how and why do you do like the whole killing commercial podcast thing? Like, because I'm always interested in that mindset, right? Like, I because this goes through my own mind. Man, if I just put a hundred percent into the insurance thing and left the other things aside, like, I wonder what that would look like. I'm just curious how your mind operates in that sense. Like, why do you do the killing commercial thing and the podcast thing? 
and not just focus solely on solely on insurance? So really good question. And like everything else, I'll be completely open and transparent with my answer. Yeah. A good bit of it is COVID, <laughs> you know, just oh, okay. completely honest. Um, yeah. But truthfully, Killing Commercial was never meant to be for public facing ever. Like, oh, okay. it was never something that other agencies were going to be a part of. It's actually the training program that I would use for new producers in my agency. What mm. happened is that I was out at Innovation in San Diego and I talked about how I recruit and hire producers from outside the insurance industry. And I had about 50 agency principals come up and ask me, do you train, you know, producers? Do you work with agencies as a consultant? You know, da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, not really. I've got my own agency. I'm trying to run. God knows that takes up enough of my time. Yeah. I've got a few producers that are getting ready to start in the next few months. Then I jumped on the, then I jumped on the plane to fly home a day, day or two later. And I start thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I do have new producers that are going to be starting and I don't have the bandwidth. I need to make our training at digital as quick as we can. And well, you know what? Why not? Let's see what would happen. You know, maybe, maybe if I, if I put this thing together, right. And, and share it, but not share it with people in my own backyard, that yeah. there would be some value there for as many people who, who, who ask me. So I do one thing I always do or try to always do when I speak publicly is I always tell people that I'm an open connector on social. In fact, I started telling everybody I'm a social swinger. I'll connect with anybody at this point, you know, but you know, I said, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Facebook. Just know that, you know, if you do follow me on Facebook, you're going to get the whole family experience and it's wild. So, yeah. but you know, I came back from San Diego. I didn't have a viable product. I didn't even have the first thing recorded. I had a general idea of what I was going to do. And I, I recorded a hype video. I put it out with a calendar link. And within, <laughs> within the first 48 hours, the first 25 agencies were in killing commercial that quick. Wow. I had wow. nothing. We didn't even have any, we didn't even have uh, I think I may have bought the domain at that point, but I didn't mm -hmm. even have, none of it was built. And I was like, oh crap, man, we really need to get after it. We And so all of the architecture, the general framework was all put together in a matter of about two to three weeks. But I mean, wow. we were working really, really, really long days to do it. And so, you know, it's obviously grown from that point. And once I saw how cool the community was, especially when I started being with groups of people who didn't know each other from other parts of the country that were now getting to know each other and the power of the community. Yeah, it's awesome. You know? That was what really was made me want to drive it and expand it. And so when we started Power Producers Podcast, the reason I started it, truthfully, was to be a lead magnet for Killing Commercial. I wanted people to hear about us talking, hear us talking about things on the podcast and be like, Smart. I really want to get more of that. And, and COVID was in full swing because I was in San Diego in January and like in March of that year is when everything shut down. So Three one of 2020 is when Killing Commercial officially launched, and it's literally mm. right when COVID happened. So yep. it's like, and it's funny. So again, I don't tell everybody this story, but it was like I am now. Um, but when I did it, I'm like, I'm gonna get business planning, prospecting, and marketing done. And then I'll just, I'll have some time. I can take, I can relax a little bit and work on appointment setting and or uh, appointment setting in the meeting. I was like, you know, people don't have time to sit around and watch videos all day. 
Two weeks later, all they had time to do was sit around and watch yeah, videos yeah. all day because everything was <laughs> good closed. Timing. So everybody's blowing through it. And I'm having to scramble to get the last two modules completely done. And then about six to eight weeks after it launched, I start getting emails. Hey, man, um, everything's great. Been through the curriculum, written a, a couple of really nice accounts already. Now, what do I do? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> geez, you know, what happens after the fact? So then we put Keeping Commercial together, which is constantly a work in progress. We've got over 100 videos that we're getting ready to upload to that as quick as we can get them edited. So, you know, it was just one of those things where I feel like all of my life experience in sales and marketing kind of came together and gave yeah. me ideas at exactly the right time. Because again, it was a learning management system. Then it was a learning management system with all the marketing resources. Then it became a learning management system with the marketing resources. And I said, it would be really cool if we have a social component to this, but the only way we can make it work is to give geographic exclusivity so that we can operate in a virtual environment where there's nothing but collabor collaboration and no competition. And so we built the social component to it. And then the mobile app was the next, you know, iteration after that. So, I mean, it's just, it's been one thing after the other, but if nothing else, it's a testament to I've done it's not my first rodeo at this point. So I recognize yeah. where opportunity lies and I tend totally. to take advantage of that. The other thing is, and this is the crazy part, we probably get anywhere between 30 and 50 leads a month just from agents across the country who listen to the podcast that know a relative or a client that's going to open a business in Florida or move to Florida and they're constantly sending leads in. So that's I don't cool. mind doing the podcast if it's going to result in, you know, those kinds of referrals coming to us, Yeah, you know, because people Makes know sense. who we are. So that's probably the main reason why I've doubled down on it. Other than mm -hmm. that, I block my schedule, you know, so I don't yeah. ever, I don't ever short the agency. And at this point, you know, my personal book sitting at 1.7 million in revenue, man, I don't need to write another account, I hear you know, you. and I don't yeah, say yeah. that, I don't say that from a braggadocious standpoint, but it, you know, at what point is enough enough? I'm more valuable to the agency helping other people get their book to 1.7 million, I, then the minimal incremental progress I'm going to make moving mine up. What's what's the biggest I could get? Even if I get it to 3 million, if I have 10 people over here who only have $300,000 books because I wasn't sharing and helping and in, investing in them to grow and develop, I've yeah. only shot myself in the foot and punished my producers at the same time. Yeah, so I'm actually much more, more flexible for me to do this. And my producers, guess where they go to get their training? They come into Killing Commercial, man. I don't have to do it live. Yeah, it's nice. I think, I think, and you said it earlier, you get enjoyment from seeing your producers be successful. And I'm sure you get the same or very similar enjoyment when somebody joins Killing Commercial, they ask you for help on a $10,000 revenue account and you help them seal the deal. It's got to be a great feeling. 100%, man. 100%. Well, listen, we've been uh, going a little bit over an hour. Anything we left out that you wanted to hit? No, man, that's it. Thanks for having me on. Quick testimonial. I'm in Killing Commercial. I think it's a great program. David, you know, he got me in from the podcast. I listened to the podcast and I was like, sucker, you fell yeah, for sucker. it. Oh, I fell for it all. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I used to just write things down and man, I learned so much from so many different episodes. I remember the episodes you did with Gurley too. There was a lot of good information in there about change of brokers and whatnot. Hey man, I have and Gurley on so I can learn. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I mean, there you that's go. who I go to to get always, my information. Always be coachable, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, and then I remember we, I reached out to you and uh, it's been awesome ever since. So you've good helped deal. me a lot and I appreciate that. 
I appreciate that, man. Well, listen, I'm a, we're going to wrap it up, everybody. I hope you got a lot from this. It was a little bit different flavor because we sort of went back to the basics a little bit, but sometimes that's what you need to do. You know, we forget that, you know, yep. and um, I just appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend with us, man. I cannot wait to turn your mug into a cartoon. I've been looking forward Woo! to this for, for weeks now. So I'm excited. I'll, I'll catch you later, brother. Have a good one, man. All right. Take it easy, man. Yeah. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>